Welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello and thank you for joining us. Today you are going to learn how to own the room and move your audience. We have a very special guest with Laura Baxter. Laura Baxter is an American opera singer, trainer, and international keynote speaker who has been rocking the stage in Europe with examples of how to take the stage and own the room. She lives in Germany and works with executives and speakers worldwide to help them exude presence. Hello, Laura. Welcome to the show. Hi, Oscar. It's wonderful to be here. I'm very happy to uh, start talking with you. And really, I cannot wait to hear your your ideas about how to own the room and move the audience. And could you start telling us a bit more about yourself and your projects? Oh, um, well, as you said, I'm, I'm an American opera singer living here in Germany in Europe. And um, I guess the main project that I'm working on right now is a book titled Dealing with Divas and Other Difficult Personalities. It's a mindful approach to improving relationships. And one of my main focus in my work with my clients is presence. Uh, I, my job is to help them find both an inner presence and also the ability to own the room. So as they to own the room, take to, to be charismatic, to be able to move those around them, but at the same time, be able to stay in their own center, stay focused, calm, mm -hmm. yeah, on top of it. So, um, a book is coming, it's coming soon. Mm -hmm, very soon. In English, it'll come out this year. In German, um, at the beginning of the next year. Well, wow, that sounds awesome. And so have you... I work a lot with, with divas. It's just as part of the, your, <laughs> what your book says. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think we all do. I mean, divas are not necessarily, obviously, when, when we hear the word diva, we think of someone who's you know, huge, someone who comes in and takes over and makes us feel small or smaller. Mm -hmm. Or we think of somebody who's very charismatic. Oh. Um, in the sense of divas with the book, it's all different kinds of difficult personalities, not just those, the larger than life personalities who mm -hmm. come in and try to take control but also other people who really in some way um, hinder us from reaching, you know, they stop us from reaching our goals um, for whatever reason. Maybe they're very pessimistic or maybe, you know, there, there are a lot of different reasons. And the book looks at basically two, two different aspects. The first is, the, is how do you stay in your center when you're working with people who are difficult to work with? And the other mm -hmm. is how do you reach your goal? And that part of it has to do with understanding different personality structures, understanding uh, how to better communicate to be able to get the goal done. The book itself is not really about becoming friends with the divas. It's not really about changing the diva. Mm -hmm. It's more about, um, about being successful, about being able to stay in your own center and get the job done. Oh, sounds very interesting. Laura, um, you're an opera singer and you started a, a, as a musician, as far as I know. So since when you became a speaker? I started, obviously, um, as a singer, you're speaking on stage and singing on stage a lot. So I've been doing that forever, um, literally forever. 
and uh, <laughs> helping actors and singers perform better. I mean, in the United States, I was on the faculty at Duke University and, and got to help actors and singers there as well as, um, yeah, as well as other people that needed to perform themselves. Um, I suppose, yeah, but around 1999, 2000, I started actually doing trainings in, in the corporate world because I was asked to come in and do body language mm -hmm. uh, vocal training for executives. Um, and somewhere around 2004, I kind of vocalized a wish of mine, which was to combine both my singing and speaking to really take the, take the stage as a keynote speaker. Um, and I did a, a couple of, I never really thought about that as being a career. Mm -hmm. yes. I did a couple of leadership, um, conventions where I was the keynote or actually in that case, uh, I, I was the speaker in the evening too. And I combined, um, I combined music what we can learn from music in the theater with leadership topics. And those evenings were called Liederabend, and that's, a, that's kind of a play on a German word, Liederabend, which means a recital, a concert, and the English word leader, leadership. Okay. And the, basic, the topic was the seven, thing, the seven most important aspects of leadership. And things like you know, being authentic, so for that I sang, I am what I am, or um, different, yeah, as far as being charismatic, then Carmen came in. Actually, in my professional speaking career in that sense, where I made the switch over to begin to pursue being a public speaker as my main focus, mm -hmm. started in 2011, 2012. So it's relatively, relatively new. Oh, yes. So it started with uh, people start asking you to, to come and train us. <laughs> oh, it sounds very... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it started, yeah, initially with the, in the around 2004, 2005, yeah, people asking me to come in and, and do these talks. And um, where I actually began to, like, to realize that's what I, what I would love to do. Um, in 2011, 12, what happened at that point was I began to look much more deeply at what are some of the parallels between the music world and the business world. And can we actually use some of those parallels to help mm. people in the business world excel, to help them uh, both with, with their daily life to be able to get uh, get things done and to succeed, as well as um, just in general to make the atmosphere, the, cult, the business culture of the organization better? And the answer is yes. It's, it's a fascinating parallel. This, I've done talks on, on trust, talks on um, courage, talks on leadership, talks on presentation and how to be absolutely uh, charismatic and, and how to own the room. This is all, all, different, all different talks we, where the information was always a parallel and, and compare, a comparison between the music and theater world and the business world. Oh, sounds really fantastic. Okay. I was, when I was uh, listening to you, I was uh, uh, imagining all the CEOs uh, become singer, for instance, <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> In a way, yeah. They don't actually have to, when I give my talks, they don't actually have to sing. I think that might be a nightmare for some of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but uh, I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope that at least inside their hearts, they're singing when they leave and, and um, yeah, they can take it with them and think of, you know, those, those examples. And that's, that's certainly been a lot of the feedback that I've gotten, that they, they begin to understand how important, uh, how important these subjects are, these topics are, and also... The beautiful thing about music when you bring it into a talk 
is it allows the audience to relax for a moment and to sort of take in everything, absorb everything you're talking about. Um, and that's the main feedback I've gotten back over these years is, um, is that that moment to be, that being able to take that moment to reflect, um, during the music or, or with the music, um, is what really sort of solidifies the information and, and motivates and inspires people to go out and make a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And as you are now singer and speaker, could you tell us what are the main things that singers and speakers have in common? <laughs> yeah, a lot. Oh. <laughs> a lot. Actually, I think that's what may, makes the speaker world for me so much fun. <laughs> um, it's almost, um, almost everything is in common. I mean, the idea as a speaker, our job is, is um, the performance is our job, no matter what the, the, the demands of that performance are. If we're getting on the stage to give a 15-minute keynote or an hour-and-a-half keynote, um, we need to make sure that we're entertaining and that we give them something for their money, so to speak. And a singer has the same responsibility. Um, your, our job as a speaker and as a singer is to move the audience in some way to inspire them that they, in a way that they've never been inspired before. And from the practical side, mm-hmm. the pragmatic side of both singing and speaking, the business side, PR, your public relations, is, it's, the same, it's the same game. Um, and from the health side, it's also the same game. It, basically, as a singer, you've got to remain healthy. You've got to have a voice when you're getting mm-hmm. up on that stage. So you've got to make sure you get, enough, you get enough sleep. You've got to make sure you're taking care of your body. And the same as a speaker. You've got to make sure that mm-hmm. that health side is there as well, that you're strong that your voice is there, otherwise you won't be able to speak, um, that you've got a routine going for you that keeps you strong. You've also, also how you build up your audience is similar. I think the only real difference between, between the speaking world and the singing world, and it's something I actually love about the speaking world, is the content. In, in the singing world, everything is sort of given to you. You, you know what songs you're going to sing, you know, or if, you're, if it's an opera that I'm performing, the story's there. I, I don't have any, the individual freedom to change the story or the message. I have the individual freedom to decide how I want to act the role mm-hmm, yes. or with singing how I want to interpret the music. But basically, that's already set. You know, As a speaker, I get to s- decide what message I want to give my audience, and that is so cool. We really, as a speaker, we have this, this wonderful gift um, and wonderful chance to be able to give people something very, very real. So the main difference between the two worlds is really this content. What is it mm. that we want to give them? Okay, so a lot of similarities and the main differences uh, in a speaker can, can and ha- has to create your own content. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Laura, I'm now going to the, to the main topic. I would like to hear from you your, your secrets of presence that we can learn from opera, especially. Oh, there are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> presence. I mean, th- this topic of presence, the word, I think when we say that word, all of us have different, different things that, we, that come to mind. Some, some of those listening to this podcast are going to think about um, Presence meanings means going uh, means going into a room and meditating and become being really it mm-hmm. present. Some are going to think of presence like on the stage. Um, it's a word with the, I've, I've 
it's a word that I've been working with and analyzing for, for a long time now to try to figure out what exactly is it. But because for me, what's fascinating is not that we give the word presence any one meaning. It's what do those people have that we consider, those people that we consider to have presence, what is it about them that makes them so strong? And what is it about them? I mean, if we think about it, I mean, it's just to name a few. Let's say, uh, let's say Martin Luther King Jr., somebody that literally worldwide in all cultures He's considered to be a person with real presence. But what does that mean? Is, is it, is it the, the inner presence that he just, that, you know, he, he's able to be in his center? Or is it the outer presence that he's able to take the stage and own the room? What is it about that, that about him or about somebody like Nelson, Nelson Mandela or Gandhi? Or all these people that we consider to have real presence, what is it about them that makes, that fascinates us so? And then looking at that and then working with, with people who want to find that, you know, with executives that want to find it, with speakers that want to find that, um, I found that there are basically four elements that have to be there. And the four elements are the ability to find the inner presence, the ability to play with and have this outer presence, take, owning the room, mm-hmm. and the ability or a clarity about your purpose in life, a clarity about, about, about the goals that are to be accomplished, and also um, the ability to work with people, those four things. And today, what I wanted to, when we were talking, you and I were talking about what, you know, what might help the speakers here listening to us um, to develop this presence, and what, what can we learn from the operatic world. I think there are three main things. Um, the first the first part is, has to do with the inner presence. The first and the second is, has to do with that clarity, and the third with the outer presence. Um, the inner presence, what we can learn from the operatic world is mu- musicians in general, in order to be able to play their music, have to, to do it well. Now, everyone at some point knows you know, what it's like to get nervous or, or be worried about making a mistake or something of that sort. In those moments, we're no longer in, in the here and now. One of the beautiful things about performing opera is when you're on that stage and you're in your, in your role, you've, you've done everything you need to do to, to prepare for that. Mm-hmm. And you are absolutely in your center. You cannot do those roles if you're not connected to your center. And you cannot be connected to your center if you don't know how to breathe deeply. Mm-hmm. And so the strength that an opera singer has, as far as the inner presence goes, one of the strengths is this ability, this absolute day-in and day-out training of deep breath. Mm. As soon as we connect to that deep breath, then we're able to sing, and then we we are connected then to this moment, to the here and now. One of the other things that we can learn from the operatic world that helps us keep this inner presence is how we deal with mistakes. And on the stage, it's not, and I find when I work with executives, when I work with people about their presentation, they, want, they have to give a presentation, um, and they, they're very worried about making a mistake, somehow about being a failure. What if I make a mistake yeah. out there? And that's, uh, that's just not how musicians deal with mistakes. 
I think on the stage, in the operatic world, in the musical theater world, or even just in general with music, when you've got a live performance, it's a given that somebody will at some point make some sort of mistake that's just going to happen. It's not a matter of, it's not a question of whether or not we're going to make a mistake. It's how you're going to deal with the mistake. And in theater, the main goal is that the audience you keep going. The story keeps going so that the audience does not notice that a mistake happened. And often I experience speakers, um, you know, they make a mistake that something happens differently than what they planned mm -hmm. and they take their focus goes to that mistake, which means the focus goes to the person and not the message. And that, that's always a mistake. So to speak, that's a <laughs> yes, bigger yes. mistake. <laughs> um, the, or the focus, um, the focus goes to the mistake itself, and you're basically ruining the entire experience for the audience. This is, uh, I, for many years I directed a, a musical a choir that, uh, that you know, performed all around Germany and, and did several tours even to Switzerland. And, and in this choir, one of the first things I had to train the actors, because they, most of the actors were not, not professional actors, they were amateurs, so they were beginning to learn this whole, you know, world of musical theater was not to let the mistakes show on the stage and afterwards don't discuss the mistakes with the audience. Mm -hmm. And at first they thought that was, that was a huge, you know, she's trying to control us or something. I said, no, you're going to ruin the audience's experience. It's not about the mistakes. It's about the message. That's the other, the, another thing we can learn from the operatic world. But I think as far, as far as the inner presence goes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, just to, how do you deal with a, if you make a mistake in, in the opera, how, mm -hmm. how should you react? How do usually a professional opera singer react? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the clue. You keep going. I mean, you, you just keep going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They do <laughs> not, you really do not notice it. Yeah. Many people don't notice. That's true. Many people will they, not notice at all. <laughs> at all. Because yes. they don't know how it was supposed to be. Mm. You know, they're, they're probably not, not in the operatic world because you've got, you've got, in general with an opera, how many people have you got going there? 200 people working on this project? You can't stop them all to, to start over again. Hmm. The orchestra is going to keep playing. So if you don't keep sure. singing, you know, <laughs> then, then something's, yeah, then you, you just basically lose. You train yourself to keep going more than anything else. And to know what the goal is, to know where you're heading, know what you're saying. In the speaking world, literally, um, if your microphone stops working, it depends obviously on the room and the acoustics and everything else. If your microphone stops, stops working, um, you could spend your time complaining about the technical people or you mm -hmm. can, you know, do, you can take away from the experience or you can actually control the voice well enough to fill the room and continue going until they fix the, the technical error. Um, but I have, I can't say how often I've, you know, found, seen experienced speakers who then actually in some way or other insult the technical people behind it. You know, I can't believe microphone's not working or, you know, whatever, instead of just going on, instead of just, you know, owning the situation. Um, I'm trying to think of another uh, typical uh, mistake. If somebody thinks, is, learns their speech, they memorize their speech as opposed to really knowing conceptually what's going on. And then they, they have a blackout. Um, if they go, you know, simply go blank and don't know what they wanted to say, it's just important to know what your message is to keep your eye on the goal and keep going, you know? And there are a lot of different, there, 
this is, I'm, I'm speaking very generally about how in the theater it is, there are a lot of techniques in, in the mental training that, um, that I use with my clients or teach, you know, teach them how to keep going in that situation. It's a practice. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing you practice. Um, I mean, the other thing about, speaking of practicing, the other thing that we can learn from the operatic stage on inner, uh, inner presence is practicing, is literally practicing the deep breath um, the vocal vocalizing you know, when we warm up to sing, everything we're doing is training the the physiology to be in here now. So that's sort of the things we can kind of learn from the inner you know, about the inner presence. Um, then there's a the clarity as far as the second biggest thing to learn about presence from the operatic world. And if you think about um, on the operatic stage. We all know what the goal is. So the clarity mm -hmm. that we can learn from, from the operatic world is basically three things. One is that there are very clear, that there are very clear goals, very clear procedures that happen, and very clear rituals. So basically the clear goals um, are we all know, what, know what's, what, what we're working on, what's going to happen at the end of the day, what needs to be done. I mean, imagine if a conductor were to come to me and say, I'd like you to sing a concert in a couple of weeks, um, but we don't know which piece, piece it's going to be. It might mm -hmm. be, oh, I don't know, it might be Verdi's Requiem, or it might be, uh, it might be the Mozart's Kronung's uh, Mass. You know, there's, there are a lot of, a lot of different, uh, different pieces we could do. Then obviously we're not going to get very far. Yeah. And everyone involved in the situation is going to be... Um, Nervous. They're going to, they're not, you're not going to have any sense of inner presence at all. So very important for speakers and very important. And this goes back to your question about the mistakes is to very, very important for speakers. Very important in the business world is to have a very, very clear sense of what your goal is and to keep that goal in mind at all times. And, and always to ask the question, is that what I'm doing right now, is that serving this goal? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is, is it, um, is, is this piece of information done, then serving the goal that I'm trying to reach with my audience? Um, the other thing about clarity is, is to have very clear procedures. I mean, and from the operatic world, if I sing an opera here in Germany or in the United States or in Finland or in Japan, the way that the, the way the entire, um, production takes place is the same worldwide. The way we take our bows at the end is the same worldwide. The way we greet the conductor is the same worldwide. The way we um, approach the rehearsals. And that helps, again, that clarity helps to have a sense of presence, to be in the here and now, and to be able to um, also to be able to emote presence. One thing, the other, one last thing about clarity that I think is very, very important, especially for, for speakers and for singers, and something I mentioned with the, with the sing, your question about the singing, is to have rituals, daily rituals that you, that you follow so that you uh, remain strong. Make sure that you get enough sleep, which none of us do, I know, sure. <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm sure you don't, Oscar, either. It's, it's amazing all, the, all that you accomplish. You know? And it's, it's just um, we don't look after that. The other thing is to make sure that we stay healthy for our voice and our body so that when we're on the stage, 
we actually um, have have the strength we need. So very clear rituals that you follow each day, you know, to keep you strong. That's, that's the clarity part of the presence. So the inner presence and the clarity, and then there's the outer presence. I don't know. Do you have any questions about the, the other, the other things? I don't know. Yeah. See, I think you summarize in three, right? The uh, inner presence, the, yeah. the, how to handle mistakes and the clarity. These are the main, um, the main elements that, um, a speaker can learn from the operatic world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other of course is what we most associate, I guess, with the operatic world. And that's the outer presence, the taking the stage, the owning the room, that thing. Um, yeah. And with the outer presence, with the outer presence, there are a couple of things that are just incredibly important that we in the operatic world do automatically. The first is just being aware of the room, be aware of its size, its acoustic, all of the technique going on around you. So when a singer comes into a room, the first thing we do is we make a noise so that we can hear how big and hear the room, literally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, like yeah. knocking a, a wall, something like that? No, literally a noise. I mean, I, I, if I do it, I'll, I'll do it very quietly here. I'd like to go yeah, okay. into the room. Yeah, yeah. yeah? <laughs> <laughs> to hear the acoustics yeah, of exactly. the room, to hear the, hear the echo come mm -hmm. back. Because one thing that people often underestimate, yeah, yeah. I've heard many presentation trainers say, speak to the back row in the audience, yeah? Um, if you speak to the back row, the back row is not going to hear you. The way, <laughs> the way to actually know that your voice and your message gets to the back row, gets to everyone in that room, is to speak to the back wall and back. In other words, to be able to hear your own echo. Mm. If you can hear your echo, then you can control how you sound in that room. You can control the speed because you know whether or not you know, you're speaking too slowly or too, too fast. If you cannot, in other words, if you cannot understand your echo, then you're probably speaking too quickly. So you have to test your, your own echo, hear your own echo, and that will be the, the, the signal that, yeah, you are in the right volume. Exactly. The right, the right, right volume and also the right uh, speed. Mm -hmm. as far as, because some, obviously some rooms are very lively and you need to speak mm -hmm. slower. Other rooms are very, um, you've got a lot of you know, carpets and upholstery and that kind of thing. They're very dead. And in yeah. that case, you can speak relatively quickly without, uh, without creating too much uh, noise. Yeah. Yes. Wow, that's, that's really very, very excellent piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's cool. Yeah, because as soon as you're aware of the room acoustically, then you know how to behave with your, with your voice. And that's even if there's technique, even if you're working with the microphone. Obviously, in that situation, you have to trust you have to trust the, tone, the sound technician to be able to control the acoustic more than what you can do if you're, not, if you're speaking without a microphone. The other thing that we do as far as being aware of the room mm -hmm. is every one of us, and this is, this is a, the wonderful thing, the wonderful thing about owning the room, is every single one of us emotes an electromagnetic field that's, that's been scientifically proven. We have an energy that we exude, period. And that energetic field that's around us that we that we emote into the room 
can be trained to be large or small. And the goal is when we really want to reach our audience, and this is something that opera singers do every day, is we train that magnetic, that electromagnetic field to be as large as possible and to fill the room. I, mean, I don't know, have you ever, Oscar, have you ever um, met someone who has such a huge outer presence, yeah, that you feel it when they come in the room? That they just say, sort of, they walk into the room and everyone knows they're there? That's the kind of, that's the, this kind of magnetic field. That's what we feel. That's what we sense. And that can actually be trained to, mm -hmm. to be huge or to be smaller. Yeah. And the other thing that's super important as far as the outer, outer presence is, is just having the courage to take the room, to, to really mm -hmm. fill it with their presence. So no, not, to, not to be shy at all when you are already in the room. You're really owning the room. Be aware of that. Yeah. It, um, well, it, you mean there are people um, that are very shy who have a smaller, a smaller um, outer presence. But if they know how to, and, and I've worked with many people who are, be, are, are rather shy, and they want to, to be able, though, to be very convincing and um, strong in certain situations, be it a board meeting or whatever, mm -hmm, sure. be it on the stage as a speaker, this ability to... to uh, to increase the this electromagnetic field can be trained. Mm. And it's interesting how it can be trained it, because it can be trained through literally fighting. Well. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of the ways we, we, may, we train ourselves to grow, this, um, to grow this field is by fighting. Sounds strange, but there are other ways as well. That's one of the fastest ways to find, begin to find that field and end and and uh, train it. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's the odds. And it, it, it's fast, yeah. Huh? Yes. Um, and Laura, do you do you still perform as a singer? Do you a do singer, it open? Yeah. Yes. Uh, probably, but I do about 15, 20 concerts a year. Not as much, oh. not nearly as much as I used to, um, because obviously the speaking and training take up more time. Um, But yeah, I do, and I do. It's that I, I can't. I don't think I could live without the uh, without the music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, and it's also I, the other thing about that is about singing the concerts. Is it sort of um, it keeps me in shape, both mm -hmm. vocally and um, and mentally. I mean, one of the things I work with people on is there is overcoming stage fright, and. If, Just speaking is not for me one of the most stressful situations, although you know it, it can be. But singing is 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 a is a larger challenge, and I find that if I keep I keep challenging myself, then I have then I can then I keep getting even more tools that I can help other people with when they're mm. they're meeting challenges. Yeah. Okay, so you feel is um, singing is more challenging, and that's a good uh, and it's a good thing to. To put yourself in this uh, in this situation, so you can like, learn learn more and yeah, and yeah, yeah. teach from your own experience. So that's that's a good reason to continue singing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the music is fun. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's fun. Um, Laura, could you tell us now what is your favorite quote? Oh, I've got several. That's a good question. <laughs> that's a question. <laughs> oh, I think. 
there are two. Um, mm-hmm. One's from Maya Angelou. Uh, she said, once said, my mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, humor, and some style. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, to, yeah, to remember those three things, the passion, the humor, and, and, and I, I mean, the woman, the, Maya Angelou just had style. It has, you know, it's just an amazing woman. She was an amazing woman. Mm-hmm. And the other is something my daughter, she came she came home from the States. She did an exchange year in the States a couple of years ago, and she came home with a T-shirt that said um, on it, it all started with a mouse. And while she was in the States, she'd been to Disney World. And I saw that, and I thought, my word, it's true. It's a quote from Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. And that sort of reminds me um, that, you know, even very little things can grow into huge things. Mm. And I, often we sort of think, oh, it's in that case, it's just a mouse. You know, it can't develop into anything else. But if we look at what Disney managed to uh, do in his lifetime, it's amazing. And uh, so it gives you courage on those moments where you doubt, you know, should I really be here at all? Yeah. It all started with a mouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it did. I mean, it really, yeah, it really did. And build such a... That's a huge empire of uh, a great scene, of course, for not only for children, but uh, for the family, no? Entertaining for family, that's really, have bring, has brought so many great messages. Yeah. Yeah. And Laura, as you are, have been telling us so uh, fantastic things, I can imagine that you have also read many books. And could you recommend us one book in special for us? Gosh, one. <laughs> Ooh, that's tough. Um... There's several. It, could I um, the different ones? I mean, the, 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 what I read, I tend to read a lot, um, mm-hmm. and especially a lot of like uh, biographical works. Mm-hmm. One of the things, um, for example, John Lewis's "Across That Bridge" is an amazing book. Or uh, Doris Kern Goodwin's one that I'm reading right now is "The No Ordinary Time" about Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. I think. But have, the books that have helped me along my way are a little more traditional. Um, and I can send you a, a list because I, I, I know on your website you've got a wonderful list of books there of some of the ones that were very meaningful to me. Um, it, pretty much anything that Richard Bach wrote. Um, and one of the mm-hmm. very first, <laughs> first books that uh, I read that actually got me going along, helped me early in my career was uh, Gerald Jampolsky's Love is Letting Go of Fear. A very simple book, but an, an incredible message. And I think in my work now, um, the books that are very meaningful, especially as far as finding this inner presence, um, are Richard Moss's Mandala of Being, or Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now, mm-hmm. and um, both Robert Diltz's Alpha Leadership, where he talks about leadership being, we're creating a world in which we want people to belong in, in which uh, people want to belong to belong. Yeah. So for example, as a speaker, that's the same thing. We want to create worlds in which people want to belong. And Robert then wrote another book rather recently with Stephen Gilligan called the hero's journey. Those are some of the amazing, yeah, amazing books. And I, if you'd like it, I, I, I can send you a few of a few of the books that have kind of influenced me over the years. Sure. That'd be absolutely great. And yeah, for a listener, please <laughs> visit it. I will, I will add all the list of um, the book that uh, Laura is recommending us. So you can go to the website, time to shine podcast.com and you, you will see the, the full list of books. So thanks a lot, uh, Laura. 
And finally, I would like to ask you, could you share with us some, some routine, something practical that you recommend doing a daily or weekly as a routine to shine? Yeah, two things. One's what I mentioned before is find a routine for yourself where you daily, you, you literally daily find your center, deep breath, make sure you, you get enough mm -hmm. sleep or some sort of exercise routine. That's just very important for speakers because we're on the road all the time. And remaining healthy, that's super important. Mm. And the other, and I'm, I'm just really learning this myself, quite honestly, <laughs> is create a strategy for your speaking, your, for your business, um, a very clear cut strategy as to how to meet, how to reach people and implement it. Just do it. <laughs> you know, just get out there and, and, and do it. And there's, there are a lot of, a lot of, um, of, of, great speakers out there who are more than willing to help um, help us mm. who have not been in the business as long kind of uh, find our way. Sure, sure. Thank you. And definitely your both uh, uh, recommendations are, are, you have to do it yourself. You have to create yourself your own routines, not something that you uh, just repeat. So that's a, definitely a good piece of advice because many of these things we have to design our own, our own purpose, our own business, our own, uh, our own routines, as you said. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Laura, this has been a amazing interview. I like a lot all your analogies with the operatic war. It was, has been really fascinating with the speaking, many things in common and many things that definitely, even though I have been attending opera shows, I, I never pay attention, never notice, and definitely can be beneficial for any, any speaker. So thanks a lot. And could you, <laughs> could you mm -hmm. finally tell us how we can learn more about you or follow you what is the best way yeah the best way is to go to my website that's www.voice for for the number four leadership.com so again voice then the number four then leadership.com and very shortly yeah but there you can sign up for a, a presence yeah online presence workshop and a few other gifts there <laughs> That, that, that are available or actually will be available starting very soon. So they're not quite there yet, but within the next week or two, they'll be there. So by the time people are really out there listening to this, they'll mm -hmm. be there. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you very much, Laura. It was a fascinating interview with you and all the best. Same here. Thank you, Oscar. And all the best for you too. Thank you. Bye-bye, Laura. Bye. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or for more information, visit our website www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.